I had been bullied as a kid. And I can remember crying myself to sleep at night in third grade uh, because I thought I was ugly. When I got the attention of a boy that I was desperate to keep it. I was 15 years old. Um, I was a freshman in high school. I had been dating Travis for about three months when I found out I was pregnant. I couldn't foresee a future um, having a baby at 15 years old. And so I prayed <laughs> really hard, um, trying to bargain with God, begging Him for that just to not be the case, that I, that I was not pregnant. I was six months pregnant before my parents found out, and um, there were a lot, a lot of anger and a lot of tears. Um, a lot of trying to find different solutions. Ultimately, we landed on that we would keep him. I grew up in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and from the time I lived there, like growing up as a kid, I've only seen it get it worse and worse. And uh, from the it started from the earthquake in 2010 that killed over 300,000 people. And right now it's um, in a place of economic and political crisis, which um, got worse um, when the president got assassinated um, two years ago. And now we still don't have a president. It's like a, a lot of gang members controlling the country right now. Like there's no real government. On a day-to-day -day basis, you hear gunshots everywhere. You can't go outside. If you go outside, you're probably gonna get robbed or even killed. Um, I, I, knew, I know people who got killed, like close people, people that I, that I grew up with got shot and then died and then they're just gone. So that's, that's what it's like. You, you're just stuck at, at your home. You don't have a choice because if you, if you go outside, you're taking a risk. So it just keeps getting worse and worse and we don't know um, what, where it's gonna go. And right now we feel like it's at the breaking point. Travis is actually a year younger than I am and he had turned 15 four weeks before Preston was born. And life got really hard then. Um, friendships became awkward. We're going to school. Um, we're trying to stay together as a family while living in separate households. And, uh, and that was kind of the natural flow of our lives um, until, until we graduated high school. Even through the, the, tor the turmoil, the, the political hardships, my dad, he still has a vision. I think it was when my brother, oldest brother, was around like 12. Um, my dad wrote a letter to God um, asking him to grant my brother an opportunity to go to college to the United States. That night, he went to bed and then he dreamed that a, a bunch of American missionaries just came down to Haiti, took all of our family and then brought us to the U.S. and was like, make yourselves at home. And my dad kept on to that promise. He, he, he believed firmly that that was God's promise to our family and that one day that that would be fulfilled. That seemed like an, an impossibility to even some of us in, in the family because they're coming from Haiti, like a place where like there's basically no hope to the, the U.S. where like there's a ton of opportunities everywhere. It's so hard like to come here. 
Like so hard to even get a tourist visa. I knew the Lord, just not personally, I don't think. But our church was, was critical to our um, success. We had a church that did not ostracize us. Um, instead, they rallied around us and they supported us and they encouraged us. And, and it was there um, as we became leaders in our church that we, we really started digging in and um, I started gaining a greater understanding in that season of the difference between our, our relationship with, with the Lord and not just religious rules. Some things I thought were impossible, like my, my family, all my family just coming here like magically. It seemed ma magical to me, honestly, because it was so unlikely to happen. Um, even, even if it would happen, I didn't think it would happen so soon, honestly. But then out of nowhere, just like that, God opened up opportunities for us and it, he made it happen. And when they came here, it, it, was, it was a great moment. And what I thought was not gonna happen like anytime soon, I just, they were, they were just, they're just right here. And I, I could hug them and everything. It was, it was really special to me. And yeah, now that's, I, I'm at that place where I have to act up my faith in God and believe that He can make everything happen, even what I think cannot happen. God can make it happen. Where would I be if I hadn't become a teen mom? And I shudder to think, and, and I, um, I can look back on those prayers of, please God, don't let me be pregnant. And thank God He did not answer that prayer the way I wanted him to. Because, oh my goodness, the two beautiful children. I have two beautiful grandchildren. I have a husband who loves me and cherishes me. I wouldn't have any of those things. Were it not for the, um, the hard things, the gift that at a time seemed like it was life-shattering. It really is beauty from ashes, life from death, and that seems like an exaggeration. But that was the path I was on. That was the path I was on, she says. Do you, do you know what path you're on? I mean, maybe it's not as dramatic as hers, but it's, it's your path, right? Maybe it's just a mundane path or a normal path, or maybe it's a difficult path. Maybe it's an exciting path. Maybe it's a hard path. Do you know the path you're on? Do you know where it leads? Do you know the path you're on? Do you know where it winds up? And would you be willing to consider that maybe somewhere in the middle of the path that you're on right now, God wants to surprise you? 
My name's Ethan. I'm one of the ministers here. I am so glad you are here to celebrate Easter with us. I hope you are already celebrating. Man, that intro was amazing. That was my first time to get to see it. They told me it was going to be killer, but it was killer. Holy mackerel, man. Yeah. Wow. Um, Thank you to all the teams that have been working on that for like months. That was Awesome. Uh, And we're going to have a good day and there are going to be more surprises because the Easter story is about surprises. That's why I want you to consider that question of whether you're willing to let God surprise you in the middle of the path you're on because the Easter story is about surprises. Uh, There are four books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus' life. We call these four books the Gospels. Uh, And the one we've been talking about the last few weeks around here, we call the Gospel of Luke because we think it was written by a guy named Luke. And he tells us that he wrote his Gospel based off the research he did into the eyewitness testimony about Jesus. Luke was a skeptic. He didn't want to just take anybody's word for any story they told about Jesus. He wanted to talk to eyewitnesses who knew what had happened. And he says he wrote his gospel so that we could have confidence in what we've heard. And the 24th chapter of Luke, which I'm going to look at some with you today, is the last chapter of the gospel of the Luke. And it's the one where he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Luke records three eyewitness accounts. If you want to see them for yourself, uh, you can look in front of the chairs in front of you. About every other chair has a Bible there. You could grab one. You could turn to Luke chapter 24. Uh, Maybe you brought a Bible with you. Or if you just want to pull out your phone and you just Google Luke 24, I promise the first link is going to be to that chapter in the Bible, Luke 24. Because you want to read these eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus. And, And if you were to read them, you'd learn some things. Uh, The first thing you would learn is that the kind of testimony Luke gives us is not the kind of testimony you would make up. First of all, the original eyewitnesses to the resurrection were women. And in the ancient world, women couldn't testify in a trial. Their their testimony wasn't considered reliable. And so if you were going to make up evidence for the resurrection, you would never say that the first witnesses were a bunch of women. Uh, Secondly, all of the testimony that Luke records makes the disciples look like fools. Again, if we were going to make up eyewitness testimony to Jesus, why would you make up testimony that makes you look like a fool? The second thing you would learn if you would read through the whole chapter is that throughout the text, Jesus honors doubt and confusion. So if you hear this idea about a guy who comes back from the dead and your first thought is, really? Jesus is like, yeah, I get that. That's a reasonable response. In fact, look there in Luke 24, if you've got it open now, look down in verse 36. The disciples are talking about all these rumors of the resurrection. And while they're talking, Jesus stands among them. And he says to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? And then instead of shaming them for their questions, he honors their questions. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. So so Luke bears witness that skepticism is appreciated. And so if you're here today a little bit skeptical about all these stories, all these stories Christians tell, Luke says, great. That's why I went back and interviewed the eyewitnesses. I was a little skeptical myself. The third thing you'll notice from all of the eyewitness accounts that Luke records there in Luke chapter 24 
is that every time they are surprised by the resurrection. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody was planning on this. Right in the beginning of the chapter, Luke 24 begins this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. These women, with their spices, were on their way to bury a body. That's why they got up early on Sunday morning. They did not get up early on Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection. They got up early to make a dead body smell better. That was the plan. To make death smell a little better. Well, we do that today, don't we? With all our euphemisms and pretending like it isn't real, we do everything we can to make death smell a little better. They never expected to find an empty tomb. They never expected to hear the news from the angels that Jesus was alive. And when they discovered this unexpected reality that Jesus was alive and they ran back and told the disciples, here's how they were received. They come back from the tomb. They tell these things to the 11, to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them. They told what they saw to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nobody expected the resurrection. The news of the resurrection was a total surprise. And why was it such a surprise? Well, because they knew. Dead things stay dead, right? Like this isn't something that scientists just figured out 20 years ago. They knew it. Dead things stay dead. And they saw Jesus die, and they knew he was dead. And almost everybody here, you know it too, don't you? We live in a world where dead things stay dead. Dead dreams stay dead. Dead marriages stay dead. Dead hope stays dead. Death stays dead. That's just what's normal. There's nothing surprising to say that when something dies, it stays dead. And so throughout the gospel, throughout the the eyewitness accounts of Luke chapter 24, every time somebody encounters the resurrection, they are surprised. And the center of these eyewitness accounts in Luke chapter 24 is a story about two people on a path. Uh, probably their husband and wife, uh, they share a home and invite Jesus to stay with them. So probably they're a husband and wife. We don't know. They were walking on a path. And on this walk, they expected no surprises. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. If you've got it there, maybe you've got to pull it up on your phone, follow on the screen. Let's jump into this. That same day, The same day that the women went to the tomb to bury a body. The same day that the disciples couldn't believe him. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along the path? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asks. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. I find that past tense there so depressing. We had hoped. We used to hope. Once upon a time, we hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came and told us that they'd seen visions of angels who'd said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he began to give it to them. But in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they got up, and even though it was late in the evening and they were seven miles away, they went back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and they were saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then these two said what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This story is the center of Luke's testimony of the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Two people walking on a path meet a man on the road who asks them, what are you talking about? And they say, Don't you know about the things that have happened? That's the question they asked to Jesus, remember? Don't you know about the things that have happened? Jesus says, what what things? And they say to him, what things? Are you the only one? What do you mean, what things? The bad things. All the bad things that have happened. The one we trusted in and hoped in was killed and he's dead. Are you the only one who hasn't heard about the bad things? And sure, there are rumors of hope. Oh yeah, some women said they've heard about some hope. But we don't believe them. That kind of hope has got to be too good to be true when you know about all the bad things. And Jesus responds, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, I I know about the bad things. Sure, of of course I know about the bad things, Jesus says. But what about you? 
Do you know about the promises of God and the faithfulness of God to keep promises? The faithfulness of God who is keeping promises? The faithfulness of God who will keep promises? I want to suggest to you that that some of you today might find yourself in the middle of that conversation with Jesus. Where you are asking God today, whether the words have come to your lips or not, you are asking God today, God, do you know about the bad things and the mundane things and the boring things and the scary things and the dull things and the bitter things? God, do you know that I was hurt by the church? God, do you know that that none of my questions seem to have any answers? God, do you know that the person I hoped would remember me instead forgot me? God, do you know about my weakening relationships, my self-destructive habits, my stalled career, my lack of meaning, injustice in the world, shootings in schools? God, do you know about the bad things? Maybe you're here today and you have heard rumors of hope. You've heard some people talk about hope, but it sure sounds too good to be true. And the question you have for God this morning is, God, do you know about all the unsurprisingly bad things? Why do I say unsurprisingly bad? Well, because dead things stay dead and everything dies. So why are we surprised when every path that we chart for ourselves seems to always wind up in the same spot. And if that question makes sense to you, God, do you know about the bad things? Do you know, God, about all the things? I just want you to know that God, through Jesus Christ, on a cross, gives a very clear answer. Yes, I know about the things. I know about all the the bad things and the dull things and the mundane things and the broken things and the desperate things and the depressed things and the dying things and the forgotten things, the things you've given up on for so long you even forgot you gave up on them. God says, yeah, I know about all the things. But what about you? Do you know about the promises? Do you know about the promises I have kept? Do you know about the promises I am keeping? Do you know about the promises I am about to keep? Are you living your life every day in expectation that I am about to keep more promises than you even knew I promised? Here's the question that that I believe God might ask you today. Just, just Just consider this question for a second. Do you know that God desires to fulfill in your life the promise of life so profoundly and so fully that you will be shocked, surprised by life? Shocked by what God could do in the next year? the next decade, the next generation? Have you heard the rumors of hope? 
Because there are rumors of hope out there. There are rumors of life out there. Not just the testimony of God's word, although Luke says he went to interview the eyewitnesses so that we could know the certainty of a resurrected Lord. But it's not just the testimony of the past. The rumors of hope are active today. Several weeks ago, I asked this congregation, I said, if you have a story of a time when you had lost hope and God surprised you by life, would you just send it to me? We just did it one Sunday. We gave people three by five cards. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people filled those out. It just filled pages as we took notes and called people and followed up with some of these stories. It was such a profound encouragement to my faith. You heard two of the stories on the video that emerged just from that little exercise. Just stories people said, I, I, I just, there was no hope. I knew, I knew the path I was on. It wasn't that what Erica said? I knew the path I was on. The path I was on led to death. That's where my path went. And she just was shocked. Couldn't have believed that, that God would have steered that path all the way to life instead. We got so many stories of unexpected hope, surprising joy, of rescued families and rescued relationships, rescued careers. Uh, I'm going to read you one of my favorites. I, I'm not sure it would have made a great video. We didn't make a video out of it. It's just so simple, but I love this one. I just love this one. Uh, okay, somebody wrote in, just real simple. He says, is a guy, uh, he's a little older than me now, uh, but he's, he writes this. I was young in my career and my life, and life was good. I had every reason to be joyful, but I wasn't. My life did not reflect the joy that I should have had, and it bothered me. So I started to pray every morning. God, give me joy. God, change my life for joy. And two to three months later, I began to see things with a little more hope. Circumstances didn't get me down. I had a spirit that couldn't be crushed, that didn't criticize. When people ask me today why I'm joyful, what I tell them is this. I was not always this way. The Lord gave me this joy. The Lord healed me. I love that testimony. What I love about it is, in some sense, it's not even all that dramatic, right? It doesn't start in crisis. Young dude with a good job. That's how the story starts. But it starts with a desire to not be stuck on the path that you're on, but to be surprised by the miraculous love and life that God provides. And when he has that desire, he didn't sit around and wait. He began to pursue it, pray every day, he said. He began to pursue the goodness of God, the miracle of God, the surprising life of God in his life. And that is what I want for you. I see so many people that are just wandering down the path that they're already on. They're not hoping in a God who, who surprises. Their relationships will just end up wherever they end up. Their career will just end up wherever it ends up. Their faith will just end up wherever it ends up. Their joy, their peace, their trust in God, even their eternal soul, it'll just end up wherever it ends up. 
Maybe, maybe every once in a while they'll look out for some earthly surprise, you know, win the lottery, something like that, buy a boat, you know, some earthly surprise that'll make death smell a little better, and it really will, you know. If you want your death to smell better, buy a boat. It just really will. That make death smell so good. But it doesn't surprise you with life. It only surprises you with a boat. And so I wonder, this is what I wonder. If you believed that God was unexpectedly good, if you believed that God was exceptionally powerful, if you believed that God was unreserved in his love for you and unexpectedly kind in his goodness towards you, if you wondered if maybe the rumor was true that dead things don't have to stay dead, if you believed that God was a God of resurrection, What would you seek from the Lord? What transformation, what surprising gift of life would you desire from our God? And would you be willing to pursue that, trusting that in that pursuit you will receive the life God wants for you? Now, we don't always receive that which we pursue. But our pursuit of a godly good by godly means, by God's grace, always leads to the surprising life God has for us, even if we don't get the thing we went after. What is the testimony you want? Like my friends, you know, it starts, I was wandering down a path, you know, you know, whatever, looking at pornography like everybody else, who cares, but now I'm free. And I don't know how it happened. God just gave that. Would you like that testimony? Well, go, go after it. Maybe the testimony you want is, my relationships were just sort of muddling along. Who knows? Maybe they'd work out. Maybe they wouldn't. Hard to say, you know, 50-50, that's what the stats say. And then I began to pursue a miracle of God in my relationships. And I got one. Wouldn't you like a testimony like that? Wouldn't you like a story like that? So absolutely. Ask God the big question that they asked there on the path with Jesus. Do you know about the bad things, Jesus? Surely you heard about the bad things, that, that we'd put our hope in something and it let us down. We had desired something we didn't get. We're broken in ways we didn't see coming. God, do you know about the bad things? Ask God that question because the answer is yes. God knows about all the things. But God wants you to know about some things too. About the promises, about the faithfulness, and about the surprises. About the surprises. And here's what you're going to discover. I love that moment. They, what, did they, what did they say to your friends? They said, we knew it was him when we saw him break the bread. The bread that he had said, this is my body that's about to be killed on a cross for you. They said, when we saw him break the bread, we knew it was him. And that is what some of you are going to discover too. That it is precisely in the broken, tired, weary areas of your life that you will see most clearly the glory of God in your life. That's what Erica's testimony was. If you want a rumor of hope, listen again to what Erica said. It was in the place of brokenness that the glory and surprising miracle of God was most absolutely revealed to her. And that is always true. 
And the promise of Easter is that that can be your testimony as well. That the very place you think will stay dead and broken can be the place that you most clearly see the work of God when God surprises you with life. So, so here's my question. Um, what path are you on? What path are you on? And do you know where it leads? Because the reality is that every path we can choose for ourselves and craft for ourselves, wherever it winds, it just leads to the grave. And the paths of this world, however they seem to surprise us, all they ever do is make the grave smell a little better. But they still wind up the same place. But whatever path you're on, God is ready to surprise you. To surprise you with life. Are you ready? Are you willing to pursue the possibility that God wants something better for your life? That God wants good for your life? That God wants restoration for your life? That God wants obedience for your life? That God wants joy for your life? Every one of our lives. We're going to wrap up our services in just a bit. But right now, I just want to worship a little bit more with you. We're just going to sing this song. I want you to go ahead and stand. We're going to worship a God. A God who has glorious surprises. Let's sing together.